1: Everybody, welcome to another episode of Outside Looking In, the podcast series wherein I, Samson Folk, talk to somebody from every single market so that you, the listener, can kind of learn what the outside world thinks of the Raptors, finding a consensus of sorts. And so slowly but surely, you learn about the league at large. Today, we're talking about the Pelicans with Shemit Dua, and um, you know he's very in the know. With the Pelicans, that's his uh that's his sub stack. If you're interested in following the team this year, we'll have a more hearty plug at the end. But basically, Schmidt is somebody who pays attention a lot to how the game operates as far as like the transactional side, a lot better than what you'll see in a lot of other markets. And then of course knows a lot about like play styles, success of certain players, and somebody who, based on the conversation we had last year, also knows a lot about the Raptors, which is, you know, it's good to have a healthy idea of what's going on around the league. Schmidt, how you doing, man? I'm I'm doing
0: well. I, I appreciate the introduction. It was very flattering, so um, I will I will take those compliments. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to to talk basketball, uh, specifically NBA basketball. It's I know uh, it's been a long off season, and uh, we're right there. You know, media days is, is a few weeks away. Training camp is right around the corner, and to me, this is my favorite time of the year.
1: Hell yeah! So something interesting. I know you like team building. We held a live podcast last season, and it was pretty close to before the trade deadline, nothing crazy had happened yet. And during that, one of my answers was was kind of asked, I was asked about the Raptors team building and I appealed to the Pelkins as if you're going to build through kind of a vision six, nine ethos, or if you're going to really try and build through wings, it's important that spacing is there. It's important that, you know, there's more than just measurables. It has to be the marriage of skill sets and measurables. And as the Raptors have let a couple guys who were part of that 6-9 ethos go and have changed directions to some degree, I wanted to ask you, do you see any similarities in the Pelicans team building and the Raptors?
0: I do. I I actually do. And um, I'll be honest, I I don't think it's necessarily a good thing that those similarities are there. mostly because I think last time when you had me on this podcast, um, we had a similar conversation and I was excited for Vision six nine. I was excited to see how the Raptors would do. I was excited for the pelicans to try to replicate that in their own unique fashion, right uh, I think with the year's worth of data uh, looking at the pelicans specifically and kind of looking from the outside end on the Raptors, um, I'm not the biggest fan of vision 6 Nine anymore uh I do value the play of of big men a lot and I, I think the Pelicans um I think the Pelicans specifically underutilized their big man and, and Jonas Valanciunas in favor of downsizing a little bit playing Larry Nance Jr. at the five and um you know to to their credit when Zion was healthy uh, those Zion and Larry lineups just dominated. They, they were, they feasted upon opponents, um, frequently because much like the rap, how the Raptors saw success in their six, nine lineups, they generated a lot of turnovers, right? So they were, they were possession merchants in that, uh, regard. They were fast break (laughs) merchants in that regard. Um, and and it's really hard to stop Zion uh, if you kind of space out the floor there. Uh, where they where they ran into issues and and i believe the raptors similarly ran into issues is against those bigger teams that are just better they had more talent they couldn't win the possession battle because they couldn't out rebound them and and the pelicans more so than the raptors when they downsize and they go to larry at the five the only real net advantage they gain is the ability to switch one through five and 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 be general pests on defense and they have a lot of athletic wings that can step in and kind of create havoc just wherever they need to. And uh, Larry played a big, big role in that, but you know, Herb Jones uh, turnover generation machine, Trey Murphy stepped into his own Zion when he was healthy was an event generator. And and particularly in the clutch, he just found a way to dig deep and and come up with big plays Um, uh, and, and their guards, you know, Jose Alvarado, um, Dyson Daniels, I'm forget. Oh, I can't believe I forgot Brandon Ingram. You know, so it's, it's a lot of those type of players who were good at that unique thing, but they never gained the true advantage of going small. Is usually you get your best offensive players on the court, you get more three point shooting on the court, you space them out, and that is generally the trade off when it comes to going small. So you sacrifice the rebounding, you sacrifice the offensive glass, uh, and and you know you sacrifice an interior presence in favor of more offense more shooting and and i I, you know the ability to switch and i think the pelicans weren't able to maximize that because of their personnel and i would like them to move in a direction where they have that button that they can push anytime like hey we want to go turbo we want to go small we'll go larry at the five against certain matchups i don't want that to be the default look Which is what it ended up being. You know, I distinctly remember games against the Utah Jazz, and Utah was trying out Walker Kessler, Laurie Marketing, and Kelly Lennox at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's three basically seven footers. Um, And the Pel's biggest person was Larry Nance Jr. on the court, and they got punished. And my whole thing was like, if JV can't be on the court, when Walker Kessler is on the court, you might as well trade him for a guy that the coach wants to play because, you know, that, that's a situation where your your ability to switch is not going to help you. And so you haven't – and then you're losing the math game when it comes to the three-point shooting, the, the rebounding, and, and everything else. So it's – I would like them to embrace playing a little bit bigger while having the small look in their back pocket for some of these other teams that do like to go small.
1: So with that said, you've seen what the Raptors have done. Obviously, the swap of functionally, Fred Van Vliet leaves, Dennis Schroeder and Jalen McDaniels come in. Maybe McDaniels factors in, maybe he doesn't have such a good season. Uh, Schroeder will certainly. Um, If you ask people around the league, fans, front office members, coaches, etc., about 99% of people are going to say that Fred Van Vliet is a demonstrably better guard than Schroeder and obviously fred got paid more than his impact will like the outcome of his his impact will be but if you ask people in toronto um quite a few people had grown fans had grown tired of watching fred are happy to see shooter in but the big difference is that when they traded for jacob Pertl, and despite losing quite a few games four or five in embarrassing fashions very gettable games and not stealing any wins they went at like a 47 48 win pace Now with that swap shooter comes in, it might be Scotty, OG and Gary as like the backcourt. It might be a funky starting lineup, but going big, playing a lot of Pirtle, abandoning like the pest like defense for something more conservative. Do you feel better about the Raptors making that type of, I guess, shift?
0: Yes and no. Um, I think Fred's going to be missed a lot of defense first and foremost, and and I guess Pertle is sort of there to mitigate some of those issues, but but Fred is um, an all NBA caliber defender, and that's not necessarily easy to replace. Um, I think Schroeder has his moments when he's locked in. I'm curious to see how he will function with what seems to be a greater offensive role um, than his previous stints. You know, obviously that's uh, still up in the air, just depending on. Um, how I guess the new coaching staff views Scotty and, and how, you know, Siakam's going to continue to be enabled. And um, we know OG wants his touches uh, and, and, and shots. And so that that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch play out. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about the amount of shooting the Raptors can get on the court um, at, at any given time. And in a similar fashion to the Pelicans, they have a ton of players who – have inclinations towards the paint inclinations towards the rim um, and that is where they're best suited not that they can't you know get shots up from from deep or you know they can't get hot but Siakam you know you, you would prefer if Siakam gets a paint touch rather than takes a three um, same thing with Scotty; you would prefer if Scotty gets a paint touch than gets a three Pertle's not shooting any threes yep. um, Schroeder is one of the fastest guards in the leagues and likes to leverage you know that advantage creation they get downhill so the raptors offensively are going to need to find an identity in a way they can maximize their possession efficiency and purdle's got to play a big role in that especially by a you know he's an efficient player i mean you're not going to give him 20 shots a game but he's an efficient player if you can can get him consistent looks he's going to convert at a high percentage at the rim so using your bigs boost your possession efficiency he's also going to have to grab a bunch of offensive rebounds which he's very very capable of doing i mean that's why he's there and so getting those second chance opportunities um and then lastly i think the combination of all of those guys who love to try to get to the rim try to get a paint touch they're going to have to get to the line a lot as a team. So if you can do those things, and that's a similar model that I'm looking at for the Pelicans, then you can mitigate some of those spacing issues and three point, you know, shooting issues as you can just be a bruising team that is very physical and, and, annoying to play against and then you still have those turbo buttons you can hit be like all right we're gonna get Pertle off the court we'll go OG or Siakam at the five or you know I don't know who the nominal five is in those situations but deploy you know your array of wings and um and try to just ramp up the transition right try to ramp up the transition offense space it out a little bit more um so having that versatility is going to be super important for the Raptors and that's not something they had last year until they traded for Pertle.
1: Yeah, the versatility in the NBA, you can't just do it one way. You have to be able to play big, play small, play in the in-between. A lot of the best teams, we see them go through phases of it during the regular season and little blips of it during the the playoffs. The interesting thing with Fred is that he was more positive of a defender after Pirtle got there, but some people think he's over the hill defensively, like guards when it happens. It can happen pretty quick. Or it can be right. it can be a one year blip, but I think last year was his least impactful defensive season, maybe maybe of his career. Maybe it trends back up. Maybe it doesn't. the The pedigree is important, though. Um, the offense stuff is interesting because, yes, they have to be able to leverage Pirtle not only as a play finisher, but of course in delay action, in five out stuff, and they have to try to like craft spacing with placing guys in the correct quadrants on the floor and really if if for a possession pascal is in the corner and he lifts off of a pick and roll instead of starting him above the break in support that like those are small changes that are meaningful and maybe you don't see it possession to possession but over the course of the whole season that that could be something that changes efficiency markers but the best like two week stretch scotty has ever had has been more so in that big man slash big wing playmaker role and in a lot of delay action operating out of like split action and like being a dribble handoff hub he's had games where he's been a good initiator where he kind of bruises and bashes his way around he's a tremendous passer he makes great reads but he and pertle at least if there isn't like a demonstrative jump in guard skills for scotty will be trying to occupy a lot of the same spaces. And even if Scotty does have a, like a pretty big jump in guard skills, it won't be so much so that he leaps from you know like a, a wing creator to a guard creator. He has to make the leap from big to wing. And then that means that he'll probably try and occupy the same spaces as Pascal. And so they're all good. And like, especially for bigs, you know, they're like 6'9 to seven, one where Jakob is. They range from elite to very good playmakers. You have to try, like, it, it'll be really interesting to see how Darko kind of concocts the offense to see, you know, if it can be successful. And they'll really have to leverage the shooting of OG and um, Gary Trent Jr. in particular. The thing I want to ask you is that there's also a Brandon Ingram concoct the offense Find the shot profile, find how he works off of other players thing, because he's tremendously talented, too, and can carry an offense for weeks, a month at a time when things maybe if the health stuff doesn't work out for the Pelicans for a stretch. But like when everything's going well, what role does Brandon Ingram play on that team? You
0: know, it's it's funny because I think Raptors fans and media are excited about what Darko is going to bring. It's going to be a fresh uh, change after Nick Nurse and, and his styles. Um, the parallel continues with the Pelicans here who hired James Borrego. Um, and Borrego, when he was a head coach in Charlotte, was known particularly mm-hmm. for – Um, innovative offense and and that's the role that he's brought in here for and you know losing jose alvarado and trey murphy to start the year is not ideal um though neither of them project to be out for for you know very long um the pelicans have to get creative with their offense and how they move their pieces around and as you mentioned brandon ingram i really do think the ideal role for him is to be the primary playmaker, right? So I think there's this idea of Point Zion as this dominant force. And really, what happens when Point Zion is going on is just Zion has the ball, and he's going to get a high ball screen, or, or maybe, you know, he's coming off of a, a delay action. Um, but Either way, they're going to try to get the ball in his hands get him going downhill. And nine times out of ten, the correct basketball decision when he has the ball is for him to go and try to score it. And, and he will convert at an abnormally high rate. He's not really there to set the table. He's more of a, okay, I'm reading the help. The help is overwhelming. Then I will find and make the right basketball decision. But more often than not even when the help is overwhelming he is going through people and scoring so i think if you want a primary playmaker brandon ingram is i think better suited for that role getting others involved you know uh bring the ball down the court and zion should be more of like the primary scorer next to him because i think brandon brandon is uniquely good at generating three-point shots um, as a a playmaker. Zion's also very good at that for a different reason because he's a super massive black hole going to the rim. Um, But Brandon's because of his length, because of his vision, he can hit skip passes uh, that smaller players struggle to hit over the top of defenses. Um, And so if they're able to leverage Brandon's playmaking, kind of put the ball in his hands, more i think it's a way to keep him a engaged throughout the whole game b uh you know if zion does end up being the guy that ends up getting the most shots on a team it, it helps create the simulation of touches like oh he's you know brandon's continuing to get touches he has control of the offense and he can pick shots to score i'm sure he's gonna still score 20 plus points a game but if you know you empower him to be this hey go get eight assists a game go get nine assists a game type of guy you're going to see another level to him and i think sneakily it takes the ball out of cj's hands um and and leverages him as the shooter that he is he is a very very capable movement shooter um and what it what at this stage cj uh, on, on the pelicans roster what he needs to be doing is rather than being a very high volume self creator he needs to be more of a secondary creator um, attacking closeouts, maybe running secondary pick and roll, that kind of stuff, rather than hey, you're lead guard, you know, you're finally out of Dame Shadow, go prove you're the lead guard. I think that stuff should kind of got in the way the last uh, year and a half since he got traded for, but understandably because he's like a the one of the best vets that these uh, young players have been around, but B, um, he was brought in to be a leader, and, and it's difficult to be a leader off the court if you're not empowering him on the court too. But I think the timing is right to scale his on-ball usage down, uh, leverage his off-ball shooting, you know, use some of your non-shooters to free him open, like put JV um, in, in actions with him on the second side over there, like spring him open there. Uh, you're going to pull a big out of the paint doing that, or, you know, maybe use Herb Jones to do some of that stuff. Or even when Zion's off the ball, you know, you're using those two in, in, in conjunction. So, um Yeah, that's that's how I would structure the offense. And then in the clutch, I would make Zion the primary decision maker, Um, not playmaker. He doesn't I wouldn't say he has to get everyone involved, but I would make him the primary decision maker and then Bi the second one.
1: I think Ingram is one of those players who classically really great players have to make the skill development. It's got to be there. His are there. And then you kind of have to have the hierarchy of decision-making of what you pursue on each possession that really maximizes what you do. I think Pascal Siakam had a couple, you know, turbulent years, not in that he was bad, he was always very good, but just kind of, what am I trying to achieve on an offensive possession? And what am I trying to achieve based on who's surrounding me? And if Ingram and Zion figure out that balance, the offense should be unbelievable and especially if they can continue to find, you know, minutes for Valanciunas, particularly a high amount of minutes. Um, I really like what you say about moving CJ into second side stuff, because having him to save broken plays is going to be more effective than a lot of what other teams have for broken plays. Having him attacking tilted defenses makes like some of his reactive reads better as a passer. And I just, yeah, I think that's much better. And Ingram is, you know, you use the term event creator earlier. It's a great term. It's, It's somebody who will make the defense shift and change and do something and will create a response from everybody. Um, Event creators keep everyone involved and make things happen and Brandon certainly is capable of that. Um, Another big wing. I got to know. I know you pay attention to a lot of stuff around the league. I know you're no slump as far as like an idea of what you think Scotty Barnes is. Do you think there's event creator status for him in the future?
0: Yeah, Scott is such an interesting case to me, right? Because a he is an extremely talented passer, uh, and I always like to bet on players who are big and can play make. There's sure. just those are the type of players I, I gravitate towards. You know, like um, in the draft, like I I had Giddy at fourth on my personal draft board because I was like, he's enormous, right? Wait, he can, can I he can, can I ask make. your
1: can I ask your top? 6 if you remember
0: who was that year so that was um
1: 2021 right 2021 yep so 2021. Cade Mobley Green Yeah
0: yes 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 so I went the, my top 3 were as is so it was Cade yep. uh I I had Green over Mobley um because I valued shot creation and shot making more than uh mobley's potential because like okay now we're gonna go like a slight tangent of like big men like sure i think offense from the big men position is extremely extremely important um but i also think that like even like the best offensive bigs unless they can create their own shots or create for others they tend not to like they tend not to move uh, the needle on off uh, on offense in terms of like possession efficiency in the playoffs, strictly playoffs,
1: Anthony Davis, strictly, strictly playoffs, great exactly. finals MVP to third or second team all NBA for that right. reason. Yeah. Like
0: in the, in the regular season, those guys are machines, right? They're efficiency machines because again, they, they eat up a high percentage. Uh, They eat up all the high percentage looks at the rim. They get to the line. They rebound. Those guys are machines, but in the playoffs, when it comes to like, you know, all, all chips are at the line. I look at the absolute ceilings. I rather, you know, a guy that, you know, that turns into someone like Donovan Mitchell, than you know, like this was shoot, this might be a hot take. This might be a hot take. I rather, I rather Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs than Jaron Jackson, Jr. Sure, Like in, and, 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 um, and I think Mobley to me would have had to have showcased like, a really high ability to shoot uh, from the perimeter for me to put him over green. But he was right there. I mean, I had him at three. Not like yeah. I was like, well, don't draft Mobley, you know? Like, you, you
1: can guarantee uh, possessions for a guy who brings the ball up, but you can't do it for somebody who is on the receiving end of pick and roll actions or post entries, which is why when the Raptors overload on Jokic, Jokic will start bringing the ball up, and he can do so. You just But, yeah. Anthony, but they wouldn't do that with Anthony Davis. The Lakers right. will just and, have a t- game where they don't really get much going for Davis
0: and even towns in the playoffs is right. like, he can be game planned against. Right. Yeah. Um, so that so it was, so was Cade, uh, green Mobley. I had giddy Scotty.
1: Um, who I got to pull up this draft class. There was Kuminga. <laughs> there was Suggs. There was Franz. There was all these guys. Oh, yeah, I was very, very low on Suggs. I
0: was, I think, I want to say I had Kaminga next just because uh, of his general prototype as an athletic wing. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay, so here we go. Uh, I had, uh, I had, this was the Trey Murphy year? Yeah, yeah. this was definitely the Trey Murphy year. I had Shingoon in my top eight. I remember that. Wow. Um, and I had um, Franz was, was 10-ish. Moody was, I want to say 11. I was pretty high on Trey Murphy. Oh, yeah. I, I I had Jalen Johnson pretty high. I was like, the tools are there. He's just, you know, can they get everything else um, going for him? But I had Jalen Johnson pretty high. I was a, I was a believer in Jalen Johnson. And I think I was a believer in Book Night, and that, I think that was a big mess. I was I was a pretty big believer. In That's book a night. tough one, yeah. But the yeah. first
1: five, good. Giddy and Scotty both really strong, and those guys weren't consensus at four or five either. I don't believe so. Yeah, I, I
0: remember. I know
1: for a fact I had Giddy
0: at four, and and I was like not a fan of Suggs. Like I'm sure he's probably was probably in my top ten, but I was very vocally like like I wouldn't have drafted Suggs if I had that pick. And I was very against that, uh, Davion Mitchell. I just don't like small defensive guards. Yeah, that's that's a prototype. That's not my, uh, that's not my favorite. A lot in the lotto, right? You you can take them later on, just not at where they were drafted.
1: And if you can get them undrafted and then have them get a Finals MVP vote, all the better with Fred VanVleet. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. as we were saying, you believe in bigs or wings that that play make in regards to Scotty.
0: So going back to Scotty and and what his development uh, is. So like his challenge is going to be, can he be the player that earns the touches, the possessions as a decision maker over somebody else? Right. Right. So like if you put him on a team with Darius Garland, Darius Garland's probably going to, get those touches over him, mm-hmm. right? But if you put him on a team with Schroeder, then very possible that Scott is getting there. So one, he has to separate himself from other guards who are play similar roles, right? Two, uh, he's got to show that if he's not getting those touches at that capacity, that he can be more of a connector, a hub, um, and that's going to unfortunately depend on how many shooters there are on the roster, <laughs> because a lot of those connector and hub type roles, they really, really excel. If there are other, uh, other players who have, uh, who can draw attention, who have their own gravity and tilt the defense, and then they can read the tilt, tilt the defense very, very quickly and get the ball to the right place is Lonzo ball excellent in that role right Lonzo Ball downloads like the information on the court he's not very good at creating the hole in the defense but once that hole is created you get the ball to him like Lonzo will get it to the right place
1: they make the Um, ultimate pass on like 99% of attempts they just always find the the pass with the highest percentage of creating a bucket
0: Absolutely. And, and, and so like, you know, those are two different hats and playmakers aren't not necessarily good at both. There uh-huh. are some players who are very good at one, not good at the other and, and vice versa. Right. And, and I do think that Scotty's best quote unquote position uh, is probably going to come at the four. Um, and I, you know, the way I would construct a team around him would be, obviously have as much shooting as possible, but then you want to put him in mismatch situations where he can take some of those bigger guys off the dribble um, and, 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 and play make from there. So like it's, it's difficult because Siakam is already there. So it's like, you kind of want to like start ushering him towards that role. But what, what is a challenge for him is he's not the scorer that Siakam is at the moment. Um now you know Siakam was what like 25 before he like really started scoring at Yeah like I think a, age 25 like was when he
1: popped off. Crazy yeah.
0: level and and Scotty is what 21 22 22 like that? yeah. Yeah so there is clearly a lot of time for for him to develop into something like that and and NBA rosters turn over so much and so frequently so like I'm not concerned about today's fit necessarily um, when it comes to his, like, long-term development. But he is going to have to either make a leap as a scorer, and and that's going to come from either getting efficient shots at a high level or getting to the line at a high level, or um, take that leap as a playmaker passer. Uh, there's a lot of these guys that were, like, on this spectrum of, like, hey, they're not the greatest shooters, but they're very big and they're very – uh, talented at passing the ball like the extreme end of that is is like ben simmons right extremely yeah. athletic um menace in transition very good at passing the ball and then come playoffs just very difficult to accommodate in the half court um i think scotty's better at some aspects uh already than you know like like oh ben yeah simmons ever used to be
1: oh yeah um
0: but you know, like I'm not sure he necessarily has that turbo button that Ben like Ben was a freak, like is was, I don't know, what the proper terminology is for him at the moment. But like when Ben was healthy, like he had a turbo button that like not many people um in the league possessed. And so like but can can Scotty play a lot of like the same function that, that Simmons did? Absolutely, I think like grabbing you know grabbing rebounds pushing in transition like tilted defenses like you know spraying when when he's drawing defenders that kind of stuff um but the half court stuff to really maximize him i i think there's gonna need a need to be more shooting on the roster b he's gonna have to pick up like more stuff off ball like just uh more intentional with the cutting or start getting him used to like used in screening actions which again Helps when you have shooters, so it's like some of some of that is context dependent. But um, I think this is a, this is kind of a big year for him to showcase. Like, hey, like which direction are you headed in?
1: Yeah, it, and it's clear also that the Raptors prefer the potential future of Scottie as far as like to frame how they build the team going forward than they do Siakam's current prime. And like that's objective. There are very clear signs for that. The thing that's interesting is that they're both really talented. Siakam will see what happens with the, you know, the price tag that comes with them. But if Scotty makes a big leap as a scorer, they can become a tenable pair together. But if Scotty sticks in that more so connector role, then it's hard to envision them together at all. Because this was uh, when I in Scotty's rookie season, I watched every possession and charted it. And kind of popped it all out I was like this guy has a very clear high ceiling like a star ceiling based off of being one of the best connectors in the game and a guy who can score in isolation off of mismatches because he's so comfortable with push shots and can get to the rim big guy small guy if it's a mismatch he makes it work and he's very comfortable with contact isn't abhorrent from the free throw line as a pseudo big right and then when I looked at tracked all of his passes this past season and was kind of like identifying how many of his assists are advantage assists where you really gift guys the easiest shots his ratio and i went to jason tatum and draymond green and tracked theirs as well scotty had a higher ratio of advantaged assists than both of those guys it's like you get really easy shots when scotty gets to process the floor but of course with Steph and clay and all those guys running split actions off of draymond and dho's draymond just by proxy of surrounded by better shooting the greatest shooters of all time means there's more advantages more events to make reads in and then with tatum tatum is collapsing the defense and so scotty sits like right in between those two guys you you could do it with a bunch of players but those are the guys i watched right between those two guys is like this is a guy who you don't know which way he goes it seems like probably i've watched Maybe as far as like people who talk about Scotty more Scotty film than anyone else. It seems like he'll end up leaning closer to connector who can do the mismatch thing, but he could save the current core. If he makes that leap to score, like really takes a big step. And the, the skills to do that very clearly haven't been there yet, but if they develop the Raptors, it completely changes how they have to build. But if, if he could still be an all-star like, in the blink of here's, an eye. Right, here's a ahead.
0: comp for you. Um, it's not a perfect comp, of course, because they do different things. But in terms of, like, that connector usage, the kind of being a hub stuff, a, a guy that comes to mind is Bam. And and I think, like, Bam obviously using a ton of handoff actions, uh, using his unique ability to score at the rim uh, to, to create playmaking opportunities. Um, now, Miami's been blessed with or blessed or you know you could say that that's their skill in finding shooters right like over the years duncan robinson uh tyler arrow gabe vincent you know all of these guys max truce they've been able to get the necessary shot making to fully use bam to Bam's unique playmaking to to that extent but um you know bam is not Jokic; he's not that kind of a playmaker um he's also not ben simmons he's just Bam is uniquely him. You know he's not even I would say he's not even Sabonis, right? Um and and I think like I'm curious to see if Scotty's going to trend more towards the Bam trajectory in, sure. in terms of offensive uh offensive ability.
1: And like the and how players want to like just plug themselves in is a different thing too like Scotty is a lot more um aggressive in getting his own looks, especially the contested type than Bam is especially when, and this is part of the function of like the Nick Nurse isolation Raptors offense does kind of push players towards go get a bucket because the, you know, the framework of the offense isn't going to do you much. Whereas in Miami, the framework of the offense is everything. And when they have to break things apart, you know, Bam has had stretches where he's looked really good. He's had stretches of a lot of passivity and Scotty. That's why it's like comps are never perfect because, not only are there skill sets, but there it's how players kind of plug in their skill sets, and then there's measurements and all that kind of stuff too. But yeah, Scotty is really interesting. I think like the all stars, the all star ceiling there or all star potential, I should say, is like it's fully intact despite a lot of people not liking his second season. And if if he makes leaps as a as a scorer and would have to do so with meaningful development in his on ball game, that has to come from work in the off and all that kind of stuff then like the superstar stuff is still there cuz he reads the floor so well and the defense so if you sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you. yeah yeah go, if you go. could add if you could add one skill to his
0: uh, between these two skills he becomes a 38% three point shooter at his current volume which is wait wait what, like i'm going to i'm going to be
1: a bit of a like a nitpicker you have to tell me like what what kind of shots does he take
0: this current shot diet so so he's he's he's, he's taking four point one threes a game um, okay and his shot diet is, is like virtually the right. same as it was this past right. year uh but instead of hitting what twenty twenty eight percent he hits thirty eight percent okay um so you take that or he becomes uh a guy that gets to the free throw line um six times a game
1: six that's it. Oh, I don't. I don't I guess, think I like. No, that's. I don't that's think
0: doubling, like his current, current. I know. Uh, I know.
1: <laughs> Paolo, Paolo was like at seven last year. I need. Man, I think. I guess in that scenario, I, I think I'd pick the thirty-eight percent. Okay. But if you if you offered me like instead of numbers, skill sets like an elite handle at his size versus. Better catch and a better catch and shoot player, I would choose the elite handle for sure. So, something like that, but yeah, 38 percent would be great if he caps out at six free throw attempts per game. I'm pretty underwhelmed because he is really physical and he's very comfortable with contact. So, I'd like to see him climb uh-huh. higher. That would be a cool thing this year, like a cool progression if he was just eating at the line. I know you kind of prescribed that as something that the Raptors have to achieve at, at the for top. sure, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that would be if he's able to start trending in that direction, that'll that'll take your like the Raptors offense and his offense as a whole, like to the next level. Because, like, you know, unfortunately, from for whatever the circumstances is, whether it's usage um, or just youth or whatever, like for his dimensions and his skill set, like he has not gotten to the line a lot. Yeah. and and that's an area where he should be thriving at, uh, regardless of how well he shoots from there or not. I think that's the unimportant part. He should get there. And so I think, personally, like I would take the 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 free throw aggression. If you if you you tell me you get to the line six times a game, um, you know you think of the, the the trickling effects that'll have in terms of getting teams to the bonus and 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 like how that probably travels more. To the road then you know that like the shooting might or um maybe maybe that i like unless he becomes like a like a straight-up grifter right because then you're like okay well that's not really going to translate <laughs> to the playoffs but um yeah i mean i think that'd be interesting to see
1: i think i'm probably being a little bit greedy it was i actually you know <laughs> what it is i had a conversation earlier today about palo and franz and kind of like who might have the higher potential and we won't discuss that here but the free throw stuff came up and I saw that Powell was at seven in his rookie year. So, and I know he's like a legendary rookie free throw guy, obviously, but hearing six after seeing seven for a rookie, I was like, wait, that can't be it. And 38% is already pretty high for like the size and dimensions of Scotty. So, but anyway, Scotty is, he's one of the the coolest young players in the league. He has a lot of fans for a reason. He's also kind of has a magnanimous Twitch personality, which helps, but, (laughs) I'm I'm excited to see however it turns out. And the Raptors are obviously very invested in that. I'd want to talk about Trey Murphy at the end because I adore his game. But two guys I want to talk about beforehand, Grady Dick and Jordan Hawkins. Maybe the two best shooters in the draft. One goes to the Pelicans. One goes to the Raptors. Grady seen as a better uh, reactive shooter, kind of intuitively shaping up around um, guys who are creating advantages. Jordan his motion and like sprinting off of screens was basically the basis of how UConn achieved things. Um, who do you think's a better shooter for over the course of their career?
0: Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I think from pure shooting, I, I, I would have to pick Hawkins because of the, just the pure degree of difficulty on his shots and at the volume that he took them and made them. I think he had an, argument for best college shooter uh in all of college last year so mm-hmm. totally um and certainly that's something the pelicans do argue like on draft night they said that explicitly um i you know i i think as a pure he, shooter he could
1: run a hundred meter dash and catch a ball at the finish line and get a shot up like in form he, he's right. really impressive at at like just collecting himself for a jumper
0: Agreed. Yeah, the mechanics are pristine. Um, Everything about him speaks efficiency and movement, efficiency and you know translation of of momentum. Uh, it's a very rare skill set to be able to shoot the way he shoots.
1: Yeah. So then moving away from that, adding to the shooting, Grady obviously the higher pick, but that matters on draft night and then immediately afterwards everyone's just a player especially what was it like 13 18 or around there like that's the range one
0: pick away actually yeah
1: right right 13 14 Yeah, yeah and like it's it's not a super big deal even the money side of things isn't a super big deal but as far as overall play grady has the size jordan has the quicker foot speed um who do you think drafted the better player I'd like, let's just, let's have the Raptors. Yeah. The Raptors.
0: I was not, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's no secret here. I'm not a fan of the Jordan Hawkins pick <laughs> at all. Um, I, I, I was excited, you know, and when Grady Dick was falling and he made it to 13, I was like, just one more pick, you know, like he'd be a good one for the Pelicans, especially at his young age at 19. Um, uh, Obviously the Raptors drafted him. So that was someone I was I was rooting for at that moment. Uh, And then the Pelicans ended up taking Hawkins, who I, you know, um, I I really hope that his shooting translates at, at an elite level because in order for him to get on the court and make an impact, he's going to need to shoot 41%, 42% um, at volume.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, he just unfortunately does not provide much of anything else. You know, you can't rely on him to to handle the ball. You can't rely on him to get to the, the free throw line. You can't rely on him to rebound, assist, you know, He's a shooter. He's uh, you know, I don't wanna like say he's like JJ Reddick, right? But uh because JJ Reddick is an um, a guy that played the league what fifteen years or whatever and um one of the best shooters of all time. So like uh JJ found a way to make it work and was elite throughout. Um I think JJ's like best case scenario for for Jordan Hawkins. I think he's closer to like I would say like his like on a balance, if you like play his career out a hundred times, like the average outcome is Wayne Ellington and mm. a guy that was in the league again for like 10, 12 years, but someone who never really made a positive impact on like he was, he was just like a kind of like a replacement level player analytically for the majority of teams that he was on. Um, certainly not someone that returned lottery value especially to the team that drafted him i think sure
1: his biggest year was was with miami you know later on yeah
0: right he was 30 31 when he like had that season right his best season which is you know the pelicans drafted a guy for a specific need and that's very against my personal draft philosophy because i think again like Every three years, the average, like 75% of the average NBA roster will turn over every three years. So, like, you're drafting a guy for a need where in three years from now, you might not even have that need. And the average first round pick, before they start out producing on the average veteran minimum contract, it takes about four years if they ever do it. Most, a lot of them just don't, right? A lot of them just never even reach the level where they're out producing the average minimum contract. And so just a combination of things to me made it a very low upside pick and uh, they went for the safe play, which there is no guarantee like this play is going to be safe in any capacity. And there are players who went who are like have a similar skill set or would play a similar role that like went for the vet minimum, you know, Okay. Malik Beasley, vet minimum, right? So it's just like... I, it's hard for me to get excited obviously i'm going to root for him and i i hope he turns into you know like steph without handles right just make bombing threes from everywhere just like an elite movement shooter and and that elevates zion uniquely like i'm rooting for all of that but that's best case scenario and i i i struggle to get excited
1: about okay it. so as somebody who also i much preferred grady to jordan and just grady i think even at You wanted him at 14, probably would have thought it was a steal. I think he was a steal at 13. Um, The people who listen to this podcast heard my draft night coverage. They heard me talk about him beforehand. Why do you love Grady? I'm sure Raptors fans will like revel in this. Tell us about him.
0: Well, Grady, again, it's just like you can obviously can never predict how a 19 year old is going to develop, but you see flashes with him where you're like, okay, he's going to give you stuff beyond the shooting, right? He's potentially going to be a guy that can put the ball on the floor at a decent level. He's going to be a guy that can make some of those reads as, you know, guys are attacking him on the closeouts. He's going to be a guy that can generate defensive events, you know? So it's just like, I thought Grady was – um a uniquely versatile player in which I think if you were had the most surface level look at him, you'd be like, oh, he's just another white shooter that <laughs> is tall. And it's just like, I thought Grady was so much more than that. And like the ancillary skills that he brings were enticing. And again, Grady may not end up being anything, right? It's just impossible to predict with any draft picks. But I thought the combination of skills that he had uniquely uh, were worth Betting on at thirteen and fourteen, um, in a great way because you're not his pathways to being a successful player did not do not only rely on him hitting forty percent from three, um, or you know forty one percent from three. Where I think for Hawkins, the majority of pathways for him to be a successful player in the league rely on him being an elite shooter, and if he's not, then you know. You 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 ask yourself like what what are his
1: pathways to success and I think you come up short looking for for reasons on that. Yeah, Grady is a guy who you know we talked about connector. He makes a lot of those really great quick connective reads. He is a guy who if as you say like there's upside as far as putting the ball on the floor. Not only does he make good reads, you know, against shifting defenses when he gets those longer closeouts. But it's also that when he gets, you know, empty side actions, he can make reads downhill to a roller. He can extend the play with the skip pass. And he is a very intuitive mover offensively that not only fuels his shooting, kind of shaping up off of and forming up two drives, but also a guy who will make the cut at the correct time. And while not, you know, the best finisher. Um, with adding strength and at his size, should be able to finish, you know, a decent amount of looks at the rim. It's just like that activity, being able to contribute, you know, a few different ways. I think you hit it perfectly that there's divergent pathways. And a lot of them result in like, we're very happy to have this guy. Whereas Jordan, sometimes a lot of those guys don't really figure it out. And they provide the most impact on their like third or fourth contract. When they're like, okay, I finally sorted majority it out, majority of times, and and that won't really benefit the team that drafted him. But those guys do have to be drafted. It's just like, it,
0: yeah, you know, like I did, I did a breakdown on like similar guys that like met Jordan's like statistical profile, and it was like, you know, Pat Connaughton, like Wayne Ellington, like all, you know, like a bunch of guys who were like, hey, like you can point to. A moment on like any given team that they're on, like hey, that guy was useful, right? That guy was important. They like brought him wins, and it's just like, but can you point to that moment on the team that drafted him? Very rarely, yeah. so it's just like, you know, like is is Jordan Hawkins going to be in the league a long time? I would I would feel comfortable betting on that. Is Jordan Hawkins going to return lottery value and or move the needle for the Pelicans? I would not be comfortable betting on.
1: that. Well, let's talk about somebody who is going to. I estimate return like just heaps and heaps of value over the course of his career and for the Pelicans. The injury is tough, but Trey Murphy like just the player. I'm for an an audience that might not be super into Trey Murphy. uh, What's the pitch because I love his game.
0: I would I would feel like the Raptors fans would be super into Trey Murphy just because it fits the model of everything (laughs) that that they've been uh, wanting. No Uh, Trey is someone I'm a huge believer in. Um, I think he is an ins- obscenely efficient player to the point where the Pelicans are doing themselves a disservice in not discovering where the efficiency drop-off threshold is. They got to ramp this guy's usage up. They got to ramp this guy's shots up until they find a drop. I mean, he was like 65% true shooting last year, 66 something absurd like that. Um yeah, keep feeding him possessions. On the back half of the year, obviously the Pelicans didn't make the playoffs. He did see, you know, an increased role. He was pretty much the third option with Zion out and them not deciding to feature Jonas much. Um and he was like I think pretty sure I'm pretty sure the back half of the year he had like a 70% true shooting. Just insane just amounts of of efficiency from him. So like offensively, I think he has the potential to be obviously he's a very, very good shooter, elite shooter, very, very athletic and dunk on, on anybody. So it's like a high level two level scorer at the moment. He spent a lot of the summer working on the mid range, trying to add counters to his game on closeouts where like, Hey, like I might not be able to get all the way to the rim. So instead of trying to jump through or over four people, let me just like pull up from here. That's something he he worked on. But I think that, You know even if that part of his game doesn't take a massive leap he can be used like someone like laurie Markinen is currently used in in utah where it's just like he's 6'9 he's got like a 40 inch vert got a really good wingspan so maybe you start putting him in some like of those quote unquote big man actions that get him going downhill or just you know like some of those chicago actions where it's like hey he's got the ball in stride and like that guy is going to live at the free throw line and he's a 90% free throw shooter. Uh, So you got to leverage his vertical athleticism a little more. uh, In my opinion, I'm hoping Borrego is going to do some of that um, rather than like, Hey, like you're trying to turn him into like a Paul George or even a Jalen Brown. It's like, I don't think he needs to be that. Can he be, should he continue to work on those skills? I think he's definitely going to continue to work on those skills, but like kind of like going back to the idea of like, Hey, like, what are your pathways towards being a star, right? Not like he's already, in my opinion, an elite role player. You can plug Mm -hmm. him into any team and he's going to contribute at a high level. The next step is what is your pathway to being a star? I think he has a few pathways because of his athleticism, because of his shot. And I'm excited to see like which direction they go in with him and how he continues to develop.
1: There's a a comp here, right? Like OG is a guy who – He didn't get as much of a chance. Like, I don't think the Raptors went to it early enough, but OG was a guy who year over year, the scoring increases at a slower rate than Trey, of course, but year over year, the scoring increases and the true shooting just remains above 60%. It's like, you got to see how many possessions that guy can take on. Of course, it can result in OG who has struggled to self-create. Now we know, but like you, you have to know, you have to figure it out and Trey, Is just like goddamn he's very good at basketball um i think one of the most important things for the pelicans is figuring out like how high does the ceiling go with this guy can he like smash through the roof of what people's perception is and then even if he doesn't if he fails the same thing with og og is still considered like a guy who will provide close to all-star level impact even if he like he'll never make that game but as far as like being important to winning on teams that want to make deep runs being important to winning over the course of 82 games, getting you to the playoffs, like Trey Murphy can slouch into that, you know, at the end of it all. But why not see, you know, how high it goes? He, I just, I adore his game. I know it was never happening, but when the trade talks worrying about and the Pelicans are like, we, well, maybe not the Pelicans. People were like, the Pelicans and Fred Van Vliet. I was like, ooh, I would do unbelievable things for Trey to come back. Obviously, that was never really, yeah, that was never feasible. But the fan no, casting, no. I, I can a tell dream. you. I
0: can tell you for a fact that like Griff is not a Fred VanVleet guy. So like he that that was uh, I think people trying to wish some stuff in existence. Or I think the Pelicans are in a unique situation where like any like star, all star, any good player that is on the market, the Pelicans name will get attached to him just because they have the assets, they have the young players, all of that. So opposing teams will happily like, oh, I heard the Pelicans called, and just like try to leverage that against their actual that happened to
1: the raptors right the raptors like we will not trade scotty barnes for kevin durant because everyone's like well the raptors could make that big trade and katie was like i'm not going there and the nets were not like the nets didn't want scotty barnes it was just like (laughs) this is a team that had a good record has all their guys on contract and has young players they're they're in every rumor and yeah the pelicans are definitely in that um god trey murphy I, I would trade a lot for trade Murphy, trade Murphy. Oh my
0: gosh. It was, uh, when the Pelicans traded for CJ, the Portland fans were like, oh, we're, we're going to get your Trey Murphy. And like, I was just rolling my eyes. It's like, no, you're not getting a Trey Murphy in a CJ trade. You're probably not even getting him in a Dame trade. So like he's, yeah, he's, he's very, very valued. Uh, the Pelicans know what they have. I'll, I'll say that.
1: That's, that's good. Hopefully that means, you know, there's like hemorrhaging usage his way would be a cool thing when when he gets I back into so. the swing of things um right. parting shots anything you want to say about the pelicans or the raptors before we get out of here
0: i hope they both have healthy seasons yeah and <laughs> successful seasons that's really all all i i want to say i mean i think both teams are built similarly um I think they have slightly different driving engines, but the concept is, is largely the same. If Zion's healthy, he's going to attack the paint and and play make. And if, you know, Pascal is healthy, he's going to be an all NBA player by doing a lot of the same stuff. Uh, And yeah, I think these two teams are, are teams, I think poised to make life difficult for a lot of other teams in the league.
1: Yeah. That's, that's something I didn't want to hammer on too hard because, There's 29 guests and I've talked about, you know, like top five defensive potential for the Raptors with a bunch of them, but it's something that like, you're obviously aware about just, it could be really good on that end. Um,
0: I also, the last thing I do want to say, and it just crossed my mind is I do think both of these teams are at a crossroads where this season will define the direction they go in in the future. And if this is enough for the Pelicans specifically, if this is another season of not having health from their best two players or just disappointment, I would be shocked if they bring back both B.I. and Zion, um, you know, or, or, you know, just either of them. So I I think the Pelicans need this to be a successful season in order to continue down this road. And likewise, I think the Raptors do as well. Big year with Pascal's free agency. Um, Pascal OG OG and
1: Gary Trent Jr. All of them.
0: Gary Trent. Yeah. So, so unresolved stuff on both, both sides here. And, um, I you know winning cures all so uh if if fans want to keep these teams together they better hope that these teams win at a, at a good clip <laughs> yeah.
1: got to win some games pascal said that i think like 18 times in interviews like at the end of games last year he's like you know winning fixes everything and i think he said that expecting you know the the momentum of the raptors to power through these stretches but it didn't really um yeah. Schmidt? yeah time to plug yourself where can the people find you what should they be reading all that good stuff
0: yeah no this season my coverage will exclusively be on my Substack, which is in the know.substack.com and uh yeah as the season kicks off here i think media day is going to be october 2nd or 1st for us one of those days i will start pushing my content it's been a good summer good a good little hiatus of where i haven't really had to think too much but i'm very very excited to uh get back in the swing of things and you can find all my stuff there
1: so for anybody who finds the pelicans to be a very interesting team uh i can recommend that but also as somebody who has read some of schmidt's other stuff he zooms out of the league at large and looks at like these macro trends too um you can just find like really great basketball stuff in addition to the pelican stuff in his writing so for anybody who wants that Please tune in. And to everybody who tuned into this, thank you. We appreciate the time. Look forward to more of these. Shemit, thank you very much for coming on. And hey, that's it. Thanks for enjoying the podcast. We'll get out of here. See ya.